Thank you, Mike, for that message through song. Please turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 15. And we have finally arrived to the last two verses of the book of James. And so we're going to be reading James chapter 5, and we're going to be reading verses 19 and 20. And if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. The Word of God says this, it says, My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth, and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Please be seated. Have you ever uttered the phrase, I don't want to get involved? I would wager that that you have. In fact, I, I bet all of us at some point in our life have probably either said it or thought about it in some scenario or for some reason where something was going on. Maybe it was drama in the workplace or in school. Maybe there was a disagreement among family members or who knows what it was, but you said something or at least thought, hey, I just don't want to get involved. And as I was preparing for the message today, I was thinking about that as it kind of was talking about, you know, what he, you know, we're looking at and thinking about what James is telling the church to do in our passage. And I, I came, kind of came to the question of what happens when everybody doesn't want to get involved? When everybody in the situation, when everybody in a scenario just takes a step back and goes, hey, I just want to mind my own business. I don't want to get involved. I just, I'm just going to keep to myself and, and just, I'm just going to focus on my own thing. And in asking that question, I actually learned that there's a name for it. There's a, a name for a situation where everybody in a situation says, I don't want to get involved. And it's called the, the Genovese Syndrome. Or the bystander effect. And it came to this name, it came to exist because in 1964, in Queens, New York, there was a woman by the name of Kitty Genovese. And she came home from work late one night and she was attacked on her way to her apartment. Reports from the incident show that roughly about 38 people in the area heard her cries for help. Of the 38 people interviewed, only one of them thought to even engage the situation at all by yelling out the window to leave her alone. A handful called the police. And in the fact that this is 1964, there was not the, the dispatch, the 911 like we have it today. And, and even though several tried to call the police, they weren't really successful in getting emergency personnel out there in a timely manner. But listen to this. Absolutely zero people actually went out to help the woman even after her attacker fled the scene. 
Not a single soul went out of their house to check on her. Not a single soul went to make sure that she was safe or, 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 or assess the situation. In fact, ultimately, her attacker would return and that Miss Kitty would die as a result of the attack. When police asked the neighbors and all those people involved why they did not go out to help her, to keep her safe, or to make sure that, 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 that she got some form, any kind of medical treatment, the answers were all the same. And they said, I just didn't want to get involved. As we close out our time in James' letter to the church, We need to recognize that what he is saying in these last two verses is a call for us to get involved. I think all of us in this room can acknowledge that navigating life is not an easy thing. And that there are many times along the way that we are led astray by various trials, temptations, and situations. And James is reminding us in just these last two verses why the church is so important. And I want to point out something to you very quickly, and we're going to probably talk about it more as we really dive into the text, that when in in this situation, this call to action, this call to get involved is not the call of the pastor alone. Nor is it the call of the pastor and the deacons alone. But the call to get involved, the call to be there for other people is a call to the entire church. We can look at verse 19 again, and it is addressed to who? To my brethren. Jesus is, or excuse me, James is addressing this to the whole church, and that the whole church is called to get involved. See, the church exists to care for one another, to love one another, and to cry out as even Ezekiel did, turn back, turn back. And as we dive into our passage today, I want you to recognize the danger that exists in the Christian life. I want you to see our obligation one to another as the church body. And I also want you to see the blessing that comes with choosing to get involved. So let us start with the danger. As we look again at verse 19, it says, My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth, and one turns him back, and we'll get into the rest of it, we can recognize immediately that this is actually not about lost people, though certainly we are to call out to lost people to come to know Christ, but rather this is a call to people in the church. We have to acknowledge the reality that, pe- that people who claim to belong to the family of God are indeed still led astray. This is people in this passage, the one that he's addressing, that my brethren, if any among you strays from the truth, that that is a statement that is being made to believers. That there are, that he's saying within the family of God, there are going to be times and there are going to be situations where even the people that are a part of the family of God are led away from the truth. Now, the word to stray in this passage is actually a very interesting word in the Bible. 
Because what the word means is to be deceived. In fact, the active term of this word is, is to deceive someone. And so when it says, if anybody is led astray, it's saying, has anybody been deceived and lured away from the truth? And this is something that can happen to all of us in this room. Jesus himself warned his people, and it comes to no surprise that as we have studied James, we've seen again and again and again how James is pulling directly from the words of Jesus. Jesus said this in Matthew 8, 7. He said, Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks, for it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come. But woe to the man through whom the stumbling block comes. I have no doubt that not a single person in this room is exempt from the enemy's attack and the world's, uh, the world's design to lure us away from the truth and to lure us away from Jesus. Everybody in this room can probably think of a time where both the enemy and the world and even our own sinful fallen flesh ha has, has tried to lure us away from a relationship with God, with obe from obedience for God, from a close walk with God. And it happens all kinds of ways, right? Some of it's those obvious temptations. Some, maybe if you're a guy, it's a girl. Maybe if you're a girl, it's a guy. And they, they, they don't want you to have that relationship with God and they lure you into something else. Sometimes it is just the world and the demands that the world puts on us. Whether it's school or career or a sport or, or whatever it is. And, and the world just fills up our calendar so that we don't have time to be with the Lord. Sometimes the world uses other people that we think are Christians to frustrate and discourage us so that we want nothing to do with Christianity or a relationship with God because we know someone who claims to be that way and yet the things that they have done in us, in our lives and to us make us have no desire to have a walk with the Lord. See, Jesus tells us it is inevitable that stumbling blocks should come. And so James acknowledges the reality that there are going to be people within the family of God who are deceived and stray from the truth. Jesus and Paul, as we look at the New Testament, both took time to, to help us understand what to do and what, how to perceive that when it happens. They did not believe for one second that we were all just going to get it right on the first time and that the moment we became a Christian that suddenly we would just do everything right. If you are the Christian in this room and you made a profession of faith and since that day you have not sinned once, then please, because it ain't me, but all of us, are deceived and led astray. And we wander from the truth. As I was even preparing this message, this isn't even in my notes, as I was even preparing the message today, I was constantly thinking about the line from the hymn that says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. That's come thou fount, right? Yeah, I was only getting that line out. The rest of it was just blur. And I feel that. 
And even though I love the Lord and I want to pursue Him and I want to honor Him and I want to live a life that glorifies Him, I feel that. That tug. And I'm reminded that the world is constantly trying to deceive me and lie to me and convince me to go someplace that God has never intended me to go. As we look at scripture, Jesus says in both Matthew 15, 8, 15, or excuse me, Matthew 18, 15 and Luke 17, 3, they say in both places, they say the line, if your brother sins, acknowledging the fact that this is a very real possibility for us. Paul says this as he's writing to the church in Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians 3, 14 and 15. He says, if anyone does not obey our instructions in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that they will be put to shame. Now, right now you're probably thinking, ouch, but listen to the second part of that. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. The call here, this call to engage is not to just put a person out and forget about them, but on the contrary, we have an obligation to our brother and sister in Christ. We have to acknowledge that this is going to happen within the church and when it happens, we must engage. That we have an obligation to our brother and sister in Christ. The question then becomes, what is the obligation? Well, looking again at 2 Thessalonians, we see this. He says, you have an obligation that we are to not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. This is what James says when he says that we, we are to turn him back. That's the second part of verse 19. See, we have an obligation to engage our brothers and sisters in Christ with the truth so that they might come back to the truth. We are called to call out their sin, and that's what the word admonish means, but to do so in a way that turns them back to the truth, not drives them further down the road to a rebellion. I will fully acknowledge that there are times in my life where I tend to be a hammer and everyone looks like a nail. And I do not admonish and I do not call people to the truth in a spirit of love, but I do so bluntly, forcefully. And what I have noticed is often in those situations, I am not calling them to repentance, but I am pushing them away from the church. And so we must carefully consider what it means to get involved. The Scripture communicates it this way, and I think it does so bestly in Galatians 6.1. And in Galatians 6.1, we read this. It says, Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. I would strongly urge you and challenge you to put this on your list of verses to have memorized. Not so that you can quote it to someone else and sound intelligent, but so that you can recite it to yourself when confrontation comes. And in the moment where you recognize that you need to get 
involved that you can play this verse in your head to remind you in the spirit and the manner in which you are to get involved and remind yourself what the ultimate goal of this is. Jesus points out to us that first it begins with you who are spiritual. This means believers who are showing the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, love, joy peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, and self-control. You who are spiritual should not be someone that is responding in anger and, and, and wanting to, to cause crushing. Not someone who is forceful or brash. Someone who is pugnacious and, and, and any sort of other thing. But rather those who are peaceable, meek, and gentle. Good and loving. Patient. It says you who are spiritual are to go to this person with a spirit of gentleness. Sounds, makes sense, since gentleness is one of the fruit of the Spirit, that we would come to that person bearing the fruit of the Spirit, showing the fruit of the Spirit as we engage them. And for what purpose? So that we might restore them. If anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. See, our goal is restoration or a return to right beliefs about God and right application of those beliefs. In other words, Paul, and I believe God through Paul, is calling believers back to humble submission of the Lord of their Lord and Savior. And we are called to be heralds of that message. And we go in a spirit of gentleness, calling them back to a sound and good relationship with the, with the Lord. And if we're really honest with ourselves, we can kind of talk theoretically now and we can say things like, yeah, I know that's what we should be doing. But in the moment that we need to do it, it can be horribly scary. Amen? I have often been accused, and probably accurately so, of being someone who does not fear confrontation. That's a lie. I do hate confrontation. I just tend to be good at it. And oftentimes when I know a confrontation is about to happen and you can ask my wife this very thing, I will stress over it. I will not eat or overeat. I will, I will not sleep over it. I will dread that. I will try to create excuses to push it down the road. But ultimately, when it happens, I will be a wreck. But when we do it, and when I do it, I have to remember that this is a matter of life and death for that believer. James, if you remember in verse 20, even points that out when he says that you will be saving his soul from death. Jude actually put it this way, this way in the letter to Jude. He says, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And have mercy on some who are doubting. And save others. And this is what he says when he talks about this saving others. He says, save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. 
See, this is the, the reason why we are called to engage because if we allow people to continue on in their sin and even if they are a believer, there is going to be consequences of that sin. Even if they are a part of the family of God and they're a believer, even if they, they ultimately will go and to be with, with, with Jesus in heaven, that every single one of us recognizes that even in this life, there is consequences of sin. You have probably heard the, the, the verse quoted before that for the wages of sin is death. And I think we can look throughout Scripture and recognize that when sin continues on and is left unchecked, something always dies. It may be the individual. It may be a marriage. It may be a ministry. But sin is never done with us until it has destroyed us. And so we have to engage. But then as we look at this verse, I want you to see the blessing again. It says, let him know that he who turns a sinner from, his er- from the error of his way will save him, excuse me, save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Think about this for just a second. Think about for just a moment what God is calling you to be a part of. He is calling you to be a part of somebody, you know, going from the the path of destruction to be wandered away to the truth, to to the place of full restoration and and forgiveness of sins. Think about this for just a second. So 1 John 1, 9 says this. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the promise of God that we have in scripture about what God will do in response to our confessing of our sins, in response to our repentance. This is a tremendous act of grace on the part of God to the person who has sinned. And if you are the one who goes to your brother or sister, shows him the error of his ways and calls him to repentance, you get to be a part of this amazing act of grace from God. Think about that for just a moment. God is calling you to be a part of his tremendous work of grace in the life of the church. It's hoping for an amen, I'm not going to lie. God wants to use you. That God has a purpose and a plan for you. In fact, even if you look around the room and the relationships that you have in this church, which I hope you have some, if not, we'll work on it. And God has put people in your life in this group and we are all connected in 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 a hundred different ways. And those people that you have a relationship with and you have a closeness with in this church, that those are people that God may very well move you and call you to engage, to show and to help and to encourage and to lead them back into a fuller understanding of God and His grace and His love for them. Not that it's for our glory, because it most certainly is not. For God is glorified when a sinner repents and returns to the faith. But oh, what a blessing 
to be obedient to God and to see Him work. To know that God is using each and every one of us in this room to see the kingdom of God realized here on earth and to call a sinner to repentance. That when we engage with people and they come to know Christ, they come to their senses, they return from from whichever way they have gone and back into the fullness of God's grace and God's mercy and God's love, we get to rejoice along with the angels. Just this last week, my home group met and, and, and we talked about what I would consider one of the, the biggest of all of the parables and we looked at Luke 15. And in Luke 15, starting in verse 4, we get a picture of what joy happens when the brother who has been led astray returns. And it says this, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep, and has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one who was lost until he finds it. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. And I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. Think about this for just a moment. God has called us into this service. And when we look out in our midst, and when you look out on those people, there is a world out there that is wanting to lead them astray, to, to lure them into danger, and to tear them away from close fellowship with God. And you are here, and you exist to help keep that from happening. To go to your brother and sister in Christ and say, Hey, I love you. And I'm seeing some things that are luring you away from the love that you and I share for Jesus. And I want to talk to you. Let me buy you coffee. Let me buy you a meal. Or let's just sit down and talk because I love you too much to let you go down this path. Man, if we're willing to do that, and we're willing to take that risk, and we're willing to speak truth into their life, but speak truth in love with a desire for restoration, and they repent, and you have won your brother, as it says in Matthew 18, oh, What rejoicing. We started our time together with a statement. A statement that we've probably all said. Which is, I do not want to get involved. I am begging you today. In the matters concerning your brothers and sisters in Christ. Get involved. Do so with love and with gentleness, with your eyes on restoration. But get involved. Get involved so that they might know the truth and that they might know the depth of God's love for them and that they might know the love that you have for them. Will you go to your brother and will you say, turn back? Turn back. 
Will you get involved? If you are with us today, and maybe that's exactly where you are. Maybe just really, just thinking honest for a second, maybe you came today, maybe you came under duress from somebody else, and you've been pretty far from God, and you need someone to just kind of look at you and lovingly tell you, turn back. Maybe you're here today because someone told you, you need to get your rear end back in church. Sometimes my wife has to tell me that on Sunday morning. I'm like, no, I'm going to sleep in today. She's like, get your rear end to church. They're going to know if you're missing. And you're here today and you recognize that you are that one who's been lured astray. You are that sheep out of the hundred that is lost. And you might very well, and I just want you to understand, you might very well be a believer in Jesus. And it's not a question of salvation. It's just a question of how you've been living your life for the last week, month, year, decade. And God is calling you back to himself. And God is using the people in your life, maybe your spouse, maybe your friend, maybe your fiance. And God is using the people in your life to draw you back to him. And you see that God is at work. And maybe you need to come and you need to repent of sin and begin a a new walk with with God and and just rededicate your life. We want to invite you to do that today. Maybe you recognize that you've been astray since day one. And that you've never really truly surrendered your life to Jesus. And that you you need to come back to God, only it's not really coming back, you just need to come to come to Christ. You heard me quote a verse in the middle of all of this that was 1 John 1, 9. And it says in the middle of that verse that, that God is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, and guess what? If you're in this room today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that offer is extended to you too. That God is calling you to himself so that he might forgive you and that he might cleanse you and that he might make you one of his own. And the Bible says that if we place our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that that's exactly what he does. In fact, in Romans ten nine, it says that, that um, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we'll be saved. And we invite you to that today. That you might believe that Jesus is everything he said he was, that he was the Christ that he was God's chosen one that lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he rose from the grave three days later, and that through his death and resurrection that we have our sins paid for and we have new life in him. And if you will believe that and you will confess Jesus as Lord, going to God and saying, I recognize I'm a sinner and I need saving and I need Jesus and I need Jesus in my life and I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life, and I want to be saved from my sins. If, we, if you do that, then you will be saved. Not because you're good enough, but because God is faithful and righteous. And we invite you to that today. For some of you, you may just suddenly have a very huge burden for someone in your life who may claim to be a believer, but they're not living that way. And I want to challenge you today, start praying. Pray that God will open the door for that conversation. Pray that God will give you that spirit of gentleness that's mentioned in Galatians 6.1. And pray that God will give you the opportunity to go to your brother and to bring them back. So that we all might rejoice together.
Let's pray together. Our gracious God and King, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. God, we recognize you at work in all of these things. And God, we believe that that you are in our midst even now. And God, that you are working in our heart. My God, what a, a powerful way to end a letter. And Lord, I pray that we would take this charge seriously, that you have indeed called us to go to our brother, to go to our brother and sister, whoever, and and if they've been lured away, if they've been led astray, to to go to them and to to show them the error of their ways and, and to see them restored. God, we praise you because we see at the heart of all of this that you are faithful and righteous to forgive sin and and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, that you rejoice when one that has been lost is now found. And God, you are calling us into this task so that we might rejoice with you. My God and my King, Lord, let us not take this charge lightly. But Lord, might we see you at work and have the boldness to be obedient to this call. God, I know for for some of us in this room today, that may may mean really surrendering our life to you for the first time, recognizing that we have been astray, that we have been far from you, that we see the error of our ways, that we've been living for the world and, and we have been deceived by the enemy. And God, I pray that today would be the day that we repent that we cry out to Jesus and that we find saving faith in him. God, for the rest of us, Lord, I pray that you would show us how to be a church. How to be a church that loves each other. How to be a church that encourages one another. How how to be a church that is willing to have hard conversations with each other because we love you. And because we love each other. And that we would be a church that's not judgmental and condemning. And that we would be a church that's not flippant and only cares for ourselves. But God, that we might be a church that loves well. That loves further than what sometimes we want to. And God, that a world will see our love and will come to know you as the one true God. God, we ask these things in the precious name of Christ Jesus. Amen.